part of BlindsidePods.com. Hi, everyone. It's DEC. I'm here to talk a little bit about my mom, who a year ago passed away from pancreatic cancer. Purpose for this is I want to tell you about an extraordinary life of somebody who was taken too short and overcame incredible obstacles in her life. And hopefully her story is something that inspires you. I have a GoFundMe account. You can find it on GoFundMe under Metafan Show Pancreatic Cancer Month. I'm going to put a link in the description. If everybody who follows me, which I don't have a lot of followers, but if anybody, everybody who followed me just donated a dollar, we'd have a lot of money to battle a pretty awful disease. People who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, the median survival after diagnosis is about three, four months total. You are put on pretty strong doses of chemo so that it can shrink the tumor so that the organs aren't crowded out. You're given the choice of, do I have these awful effects of chemotherapy and feel awful and miserable? Or do I have a tumor grow unchecked and have the worst pain of my life and die a quicker period of time? What an awful choice that we have. And by donating to Pancreatic Action Network or at PanCan and Twitter, we can try and do something to make a dent in this disease. Even if you find it early and you have a Whipple procedure, which is very, 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 very rare, it's low double digits of a five-year survival rate. It's like a 1% survival rate for five years if you have stage four, which is when people generally are diagnosed, which means not only is it in the pancreas, it's probably in the liver, it's probably in the lungs, it's probably in the bones, it's probably elsewhere in the body. And there is no screening mechanism because the pancreas is behind everything in the center of your torso. If you don't know enough about it, it can be like, well, well, there's screening for everything else, and there is screening for everything else, but not for this. So it's unacceptable that we're in the dark ages still in terms of progress, and so supporting PanCan is a really great thing. I think this is my third stab at doing this podcast, and I went one way with a story about my mom, and now I'm going to go another way. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of a woman who was I think the one joy that she had was living in Hamden, Massachusetts. So if you don't know Hamden, it's out in Western Mass, outside of Springfield. To me, if you live in Hamden and you have running water and you have good plumbing, you're a millionaire. Um, but hey, you'll, when you live next to Munson, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're living high in the hog at that point. Munson's awful. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're from Munson, unsubscribe. We don't, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, my mother grew up and she had four other siblings. And for whatever reason, she was chosen by the family to raise the kids. And she was given that responsibility. She was very bright, but she was not allowed to go to college because my grandmother felt that women who go to college only go for their MRS. So she was left without a degree, which didn't matter to my grandparents because women's women were to be married and raise kids. And that's what she did. She met my father and she had me and I'm an only child. I'm the only child she had, which when you're an only child, you are quite the focus 
of your parents. And for me, it was the focus of my mom, who was my mom and my dad, because my dad and my mom divorced when I was three or four years old. As far as I know, he's still an alcoholic, still an active alcoholic, and he was physically abusive to my mother, extremely physically abusive. And I have some memories of seeing this just flashes here and there. And she had the courage to walk away with nothing, give up the home and move into the second floor of a two family apartment in West Springfield in not the nicest neighborhood above my great uncle. She was awarded child support. He paid maybe a third, maybe maybe a quarter of what he had. He worked at AT&T, and I remember that because he would take sort of the leftover envelopes that had the AT&T logo, and he would black it out, and he was so cheap that he would use that envelope to send the check for her. Uh, she didn't have a job. We were on food stamps. We were on welfare, and I don't know how we made it work. I always had a good Christmas. I always had toys. I did have an extended family that helped take care of me. But single mom by herself, you, you just don't know. When you grow up that poor, I don't think you know otherwise. She ended up getting a job at RCA. We were able to move out of West Springfield into a better school system in Wilbraham. Still was the poorest kid in Wilbraham in a very wealthy town. And... She did that because she wanted me to have a better education. And I did. Um, she ended up remarrying. I had a stepfather. I was sent to college. I had financial aid. I'm, I think of my cousins. I have five other cousins from my mother's side. I'm the only one who went to college. I, from what I can remember, I think I'm the only person from my mother's side of the family that ended up going to college and found a way to make it. I remember coming home and I think it was like senior year of college, might've been after college. I had come home and she had told me she was not going to be home that day. She had something to do. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a 20, 21 or something. I'm not thinking of anything. I'm thinking of myself. And she, I come home and she's sobbing on the couch. And she said, you're going to hate me. You're never going to want to talk to me. And I asked, why? She goes, I was in New Jersey today. I had sued your father for all the back child support that he didn't pay. It's enough to pay for a good portion of your college education, but I had to see your father and you're going to hate me. Now I hadn't seen my father since Christmas day of 1982. Very rarely did he come around. He lived in New Jersey. He moved back to New Jersey. I lived in Western mass and he would only come by if there was a family event with family and Otis. So I was an afterthought. And after 1982 at seven years old, uh, I, wasn't even an afterthought at that point. So I can understand her feeling I would be upset because he really wasn't part of my life. But on the other hand, that's an awfully strong thing to do to go back and sue your ex-spouse who was that abusive and that awful. And, and quite frankly, evil as far as I'm concerned. And I got an education paid out of it. She moved from 
RCA to being unemployed to Mass Mutual. She made $650, $640 an hour when she started in the late 80s in customer service. And by the time she retired, she was a director making close to six figures. And I want to go back. She did not have a college education. It's a remarkable story. She had saved enough money by the time I left high school that she was able to buy a house back in Hamden down the street from that old house Um, and, and down the mountain from Munson, too, which is frightening in and of itself. But she got herself back to Hamden, which she always wanted to do. I tell a couple fun, funny stories about her. Uh, I'm strange because I had a strange mother. I was six years old sitting on the stoop at my grandparents' house, and she told me, you got to, you, Matthew, you've got to stand up. You have to stand up. Don't sit on the stoop. Why? Because it's hot, and hot stoops cause hemorrhoids, and I don't want you to get hemorrhoids. So she was concerned if a six-year-old might sprout some hemorrhoids at some point. Uh, I always wanted to play baseball. She wouldn't let me play baseball. Why? Because I would share a helmet with some little boy who might have lice. And then I would get lice. And everybody knows that only bad mothers have kids who have lice. So I wasn't allowed to play baseball. But I could swim because of the chlorine. Now, I'm sure swimming was cheaper. Uh, I'm sure if I had lice, that would be a really bad situation for, for her as a single mom with no money. Uh, but all I can remember at that time is I can't play baseball because I might get friggin' lice. And as an adult, you look back and you realize that you, you do what you have to do. And the fact that I'm a semi, semi-normal person, regardless of what you say, is an astonishing thing. So had... Had no, I had no idea, I have, still have no idea of what it means to have a father. But growing up that way, that poor with only a mom, and being an only child, I knew I was going to sure as hell be a better father and wasn't going to have only children because they weren't going to grow up like me. I wanted to kind of flash forward to when she got sick. So one of the, she smoked. She smoked for years, and she hid cigarettes for like 20 years. She pretended that she had quit smoking, and you could smell it on her. You could smell the teratins off of her. And nobody really talks about the fact that cigarettes cause lung cancer, but it's one of the big contributors to pancreatic cancer, too. And she smoked a long time. She had diabetes that she was diagnosed maybe four years ago now. So three years before she passed away, she had diabetes. And when you are diagnosed late in life with diabetes, it usually is one of two things. It can be a risk factor now for pancreatic cancer, or it can be an early symptom of it. I have a feeling this was an early symptom because she lost a ton of weight after she had diabetes. Now, she talked about the fact that she did this because I have to lose weight because I have diabetes. The doctor says this, but it was more weight than she needed to, and her appetite became very poor the last few years of her life. Um, and she was one of these people that it didn't... She needed a hip replacement for years, and she would dr- literally like drag her leg with her in her hands, and you could see her wincing and say, what's wrong? 
oh, why would you say something's wrong? Everything's great. Yeah, no, I think something's wrong because I can see you grimacing and you have like wheels on your leg and you're carrying your hip with you with duct tape. Something's wrong, but you have to let go of the things you can't control. And I could not control this in her, that she was not going to see a doctor. Um, she was proud of being Italian. She loved being Italian. She loved cooking Italian food. She loved cooking. I have a love of cooking because she had a love of cooking. Um, she had a killer spaghetti sauce. She had a killer chicken parm, killer lasagna. Uh, all things she would never teach me how to do because she'd say, well, I don't have a recipe. I put a little of this and a little of that, Matthew, and I put a little of that. I'll just, I'll just, show, I'll just do it for you. No, so I never got these things. So I got a call last October. It was one Monday night. Again, I want to clarify that she was terrible about going to doctors. So she gave me a call, and it was always something like this of, oh, just calling because, you know, I'm in the hospital. I'm at Bay State, and they want to do surgery because there's a blockage in my colon, and they think it's colon cancer. All right, I'll talk to you later. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back it up a little bit. What What's going on here? And... She had been constipated for a week. She had had a colonoscopy earlier. Now, when I would talk to her about these things, it was very difficult to get this information out of her. If she had seen a doctor, you would have to ask a question knowing she would zig to see what the zag was so that you could filter out what the reality was. And I had to find different ways to ask questions. And she said, there's something going on. I'm at the hospital. They would like to operate. They want to do some exploratory. They think it might be colon cancer. Colon cancer is one of those things that they think it might be. And I was ready to go up there. And then she called back. She goes, you know, you don't have to worry. They're not going to do surgery. They're going to, I'm going to stay a couple days. But now they don't want to do surgery. Okay. They just said they were going to do surgery. It was serious enough that they were going to put you under very quickly to the point that I had to rush up there. What's changed? Oh, well, they haven't said. Did you ask? No. Okay. So they tell her, okay, we're going to send her home. They're going to send you home the next day. Okay. Five minutes ago, they were going to do surgery on you. Because they thought you had colon cancer. Now they're saying they don't need to do surgery. What's changed? Well, they just said things are different. This should have, this should have been telling me something. I know she wasn't telling me everything, but this should have told me something here. So in talking to her, she's still in the hospital. You don't have to come up and visit me. I don't want you to come up and visit me. Uh, still thinking it's colon cancer. Maybe something with the pancreas. And I'm thinking pancreatitis. I'm thinking, okay, we dodged a bullet here. She's got an inflamed pancreas. She's... If she's got colon cancer, colon cancer is something we can work with. People get this all the time. And she went home and we're talking and I have an appointment next week. Again, you are going to have surgery in the moment. Why are you waiting until next week? And there was a Friday, Friday the 26th of October. She said, I'm, I'm going to have that appointment. And I waited all day for her call and I called her like five, six o'clock at night because she didn't call me. And so she picked up the phone. I talked to her. What, what happened? I have pancreatic cancer. It spread to the colon. I don't know if I have two weeks. 
I don't know if I have two years. And that's a tough conversation to have because it's her worst nightmare. In her mind, you don't go to a doctor because a doctor sends you to the hospital. And if you go to the hospital, you die. And it never happened that way for her. Now at 71 years of age, this is where we are. So she told me, I want to go to Dutch country in Pennsylvania. I want to do this. I want to do that. Couldn't really give me details on what they were going to do. She talked about chemo. Uh, didn't like the doctor when she went to the chemo appointment of what the plan was going to be. Didn't like the way he treated her. So she was really focused on all of these different things. And my plan was to go do chemo with her. No, 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 I don't want you there. It's going to be all day. So found a way that she, I didn't go. So I saw her one last time about a week or two after she was diagnosed. And she told me, it's so strange that they diagnosed me with this because I feel great. I don't even feel bad. She had lost 20 pounds since the last time I saw her. There was no way she could be feeling great. But this is the way she was. It, if It did not matter if she was in hellish pain. She was always fine. And she actually ate. We went out to a restaurant. She actually ate. I didn't think this would be the last time I saw her. It was the last time I saw her. The next week, she went for her first dose of chemotherapy. And it was like that. It was a different person. That was it. Uh, I had been calling her every day. I had been texting her. Just things like, just calling to say, how you doing? Just calling to say hi. Calling to say I love you. Texting you to say I love you every day. And we would talk every day. It wasn't even that long, but just every day we would have that conversation. And around the time of her first chemo treatment, she said, I'm tired. I don't really want to talk. And after that weekend, it was Thanksgiving week. She had said, I hope you don't mind, but I really don't want to talk to you. Uh, if you text me, I'm probably not going to text you back. And she didn't. I didn't get a call back from her for that last week. I did text a little. She said, you know, Thanksgiving was tough. We had a prepared turkey, which she never would have done. And I didn't eat it. Uh, my stepfather asked me to eat. I tried to eat. It tasted metallic. I didn't eat. And oh, by the way, I haven't eaten in a day. I'm just not hungry. What I know now about cancer is when you have somebody who tells you, I'm done talking, and they say, I don't want to eat, that's usually the last days. And it also upsets me when I hear people talk about, you got to fight, this guy's a fighter, you know, Bob Gibson has pancreatic cancer, he's a fighter because he could throw a baseball. If you get to that point where you don't want these lethal doses of chemotherapy or you're ready to tap out and say, I can't do this anymore, why is that a problem? Why is that fighting or not fighting? I just, I don't like the analogy. It's just too simplified for what this is. Um, and that following Monday, I had to work late, which I typically don't. It was very busy, which it typically isn't. And my phone was buzzing and I didn't pick it up. And my boss came over and said, your wife called. You need to call her now. I didn't even know how she had his number, but she did. I called her and she said, your stepfather called. You have to go to the hospital. They're at Bay State. She doesn't have any brain um, function. 
and they're waiting for you to say goodbye. So you need to go to the hospital. So I did. I asked her, can you come to the hospital? Yep, I'll get a sitter. I'll be up there as soon as I can. And I got up to the hospital to say goodbye. And there is nothing like having to go and wait for check-in. Yes, uh, this is who I am. I'm looking for Barbara Moran. I'm here because I was told that she it has no brain function and she's being kept alive by machines. And I need to go in there to say goodbye so that you guys can let her go. Always uh, a strange conversation to have. And my stepfather met me and he said, this is really bad. Actually, I want to clarify. It's hopeless. And it was an awful scene of seeing a loved one on these types of machines and the guilt that I felt because she, I felt I could have picked up that phone sooner. What if I saw that text message? They wouldn't be keeping her alive to have her suffer so that I could say goodbye. Um, so I said goodbye and she passed away there. And my son took it very hard I get a lot of, I don't believe in, he's 11. I don't believe in God. I don't like God. I don't have grandparents. God took away my grandparents. He must hate me. And if he hates me, he must not exist. So there is no God. And that is a very difficult conversation to have. Um, she was diagnosed and exactly 31 days later, she was gone. I don't know if that's a good thing. And I don't know if it's a bad thing. I hear of people who, like Alex Trebek, who are living long periods of time with this. One month is much less than the median, but it's not much, much less. I'm telling this story because I wanted to tell you a story of a remarkable woman. I hope you get something from this. I hope it makes you think differently about pancreatic cancer. And if you could just give $1 to the GoFundMe page that's linked to this show description, you could be doing something really great for somebody else. My mother's favorite movie was The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond. This is a horrible movie. It's a great soundtrack, but it's a horrible movie. It's like a 48-year-old guy who's just breaking into show business. It's, it's just a ridiculous premise. Neil Diamond's acting is awful, but she loved it because she loved Neil Diamond. It was her favorite singer. And I started listening to Hello Again by Neil Diamond around the time she died because it gave me comfort because she loved this and when she died I could not listen to this song again and so for the first time I'm going to play this song and that's how I'm going to end this podcast with Neil Diamond's Hello I hope you've gotten something out of it I appreciate you listening thanks for supporting the podcast and thank you for supporting our world have an awesome Thanksgiving Hello again, hello Just called to say hello I couldn't sleep at all tonight And I know it's late But I couldn't wait Hello, my friend, hello Just called to let you 
know I think about you every night When I'm here alone And you're there at home Hello But I put my heart above my head We've been through it all And you love me just the same And when you're not there I just need to hear Hello My friend, hello It's good to meet you so It's good to love you like I do And to feel this way When I hear you say Hello this far into the podcast that tells me you're a pretty big fan if you like what we do and you find value in the podcast consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com backslash sober friends pod your donation keeps us on the air to help out the new guy and helps us defray some of our costs if you find value in our podcast please consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash sober friends pod